Now, today we go over Romans chapter 8. Uh, we begin with Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, talking about the concept of no condemnation. Now, if you've been with us in the past, we've gone over some uh, elements such as um, we've went over, we've began with uh, condemnation, the reality of condemnation. Um, we've gone from the condemnation which we have and which is applied to us as people who are not of the body of Christ, as people who have not been reborn or regenerated by the Spirit. And we've gone into a uh, justification, uh, a sense of rebirth. We've talked about the reasons for God's wrath. We've talked about how God's wrath is also God's goodness hypocrisy of false converts, and it's, uh, so much more. Um, not this episode, but next episode that we do next week, we'll be wrapping up uh, the concept of sanctification. Now, sanctification itself is the ongoing process of holiness, of, of purity, if you wish. Um, you know, once you come into the body of Christ, you have, at that moment, have a sense of holiness. You have a sense of righteousness because the moment you are born again, a true con a true convert is born again by the Spirit. Their sins are wiped clean, their sins are nailed to the cross, and Jesus Christ indwells within the person through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting we talk about no condemnation. There is no condemnation. You see, people in general, uh, Christians specifically, in fact, I can relate to this a little bit, deal with a condemnation um, among other believers. Uh, you know, there, there's other people who would um, call yourself or call others, you know, dangers or false teachers, hazards to the Christian faith, uh, heretics, however you would like to word that. Now, it is true there are some people who do profess the name of Christ who are not true believers. And you know that not only in their character, but with what they teach. For an example, you have people like Beth Moore, false teacher, Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Andy Stanley, Stephen Furtick. A lot of these popular names have become these prosperity preachers and are um, will stand a condemnation uh, when they come. But for those who are born of the Spirit, we have no need for condemnation. And as we get into this, I will uh, begin reading here, and then we'll get into this passage, uh, but begin by tearing it apart. Uh, starting in Romans 8, verse 1 through 11, if you have a notepad or notebook, uh, please you know, feel free to follow along. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is now, listen to that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is eternal life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Listen to that. It cannot submit to God's law. The one who is living in the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not, nor can it, submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, because of sin, the Spirit of life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to the mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This, my friends, is the word of God, written by Paul. Uh, penned by Paul, we should say. Um, one of the things I myself am trying to apply, as well as getting into, uh, you know, I want to encourage everyone else to do this as well, is this idea of, well, Paul says this, well, Noah has this to say, well, Abraham has this to say, well, David has this to say, Saul has this to say. This, this, isn't, uh, this isn't the case. These people were moved by God to write down the Word of God. So therefore, it is simply the Word, it is God's Word. So instead of saying, well, Paul has this to say, we should, we should say that, well, God has this. This is what God has to say, because this is his words. These, these, these apostles, these prophets, these people who, who penned uh, what we know today is, are simply the secretaries, so to speak. Now, I want to start with this. There is no condemnation. This is something that, again, we, we apply today, and I think uh, it's very concerning to me. You see, to pass judgment, the, the, the idea of a condemnation is to pass judgment on someone and usually elicit some form of a punishment. This is a form of condemnation. The word is used through the Bible, throughout the Bible, especially in reference to the acts of God toward those who choose not to obey him. Other uses usually involve a political leader passing a judgment on some person. So regardless, this is essentially a civil matter, a judicial matter, if you wish. Condemnation is something that uh, is, is passed by somebody of, of, a, of a governing authority, i.e. God in his kingship, and in, in his king, in his sovereign role, he can pass a judgment of condemnation on us. Likewise, a judge... Uh, can give a, a form of punishment to us as well, or any other form of uh, political leader that has the ability to uh, declare a punishment. And this is something I find also very concerning. See, we have a modern, the modern Christian, the modern Christian, the mo the mo I'm sorry, the modern Christian faith is the fear, has a fear to warn somebody of the realities of hell. We have a fear of this because we don't want to seem we don't want to see, feel like uh, we don't want people to be feel like they're being judged that we are judging them that we're cast that we're condemning them. But the reality is we as the believer are not. The believer's job is to simply speak the truth in love 
but to speak the truth nonetheless. When you have a non-believer that comes up to you, is like, well, what do you think? Do you think I'm going to go to hell? And, you know, honestly, you have to be honest with him. If they're asking a question like that, I'm not going to, don't, don't be, you know, 100% saying, yes, you're going to go to hell because you don't know that. They could believe in the, they could believe in God tomorrow. They could repent in their sins this weekend and you would have no idea. The best that a Christian could say is if they continue on this path, then yes, the possibility that a person would wind up in hell is true. That's the most that we can possibly do because we are not absolute in what we know to happen. But I find it concerning because we have this fear and we've become soft as believers. We are unwilling to speak the truth, I mean, no matter how hard it hurts. Quite honestly, there are some times we need to. I had my experience, uh, and, and uh, one of uh, a traumatic experience, if you wish, uh, last year, approximately about this time, uh, and, and it was very concerning to me. Without getting into too much, you know, I've mentioned it in the past, but it was needed. This was a movement by God. This was something that I've I've tried to push off. I've tried to run from, and the only thing I could get was don't run. And then the following day, after I committed these acts, or after I spoke, I'm seeing all sorts of signs and wonders saying, not wonders, but all sorts of signs saying, you know, essentially, you can wrap it up with, well done, my good and faithful servant. Though these people choose not to believe, you do. And interestingly enough, these messages in which confirm this were spoken by a pastor I've never met. I've got no idea who he is. Never heard of him in my entire life. And in fact, to this day, after that one week, to this day, I have no idea who he is. I have never seen another video, another message of his online. And I thought that was impressive. That was beautiful. But the reason I bring this up is, 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 is the modern Christian faith. We've got a fear of confrontation. We've become soft when it comes to confronting sin. And the only time in which we do confront sin is somehow when it somehow affects us. When, when we or an organization we work for, or you know, when it somehow diminishes, the, the character's actions diminish our reputation, our image. But when it comes to the person who you've never met, you've never seen before, you don't work with, you don't go to school with, you simply have a friend who says, hey, I'm really concerned about this. Can you talk to this person? Absolutely. I have no idea who they are, but I will definitely talk to them. We need to be willing to do that as well. But I bring this up because condemnation itself is, is a fear. We have this fear that we will be that, that the person who we're, we're approaching is a feeling of con, uh, is feeling condemned, is feeling like they're being judged. And as the modern Christian faith it says, is like well, it's not our place to judge. But yet Christ Himself says otherwise in John chapter seven. This is usually a done out of a fear of being seen as unloving. As being a, a, a fear of being viewed as judgmental, or perhaps you know that we are condemning one of their own sins, when we as believers have sin in general, generally speaking, in our own life. And before we can address this person's sin, 
Even though we've we don't we don't do it, we don't uh, delve into debauchery. We don't get like get, get driven into lusts, into greed, into false teachings, into hypocrisy, whatever it is you can think of. Now we do have sins, nonetheless. But we may not have this one. Does that give us right, or does that justify us to keep quiet because we don't have the right? Because we have this person has sin A and we have sin B. No, if you don't have sin A, you know how to you know how to avoid it. You know how to overcome it. So go to this person who has sin A and recognize that, and say, Hey, I know what you're dealing with. I you know I can help you. You've got sin B with, and they might they might not even have that. You know, this is all contrary to what the Word of God really says when it comes to condemnation. The reality of the situation is that anybody who is not of the body of Christ, as we've already went over, anybody who does not have a change in the heart of the and spirit by the Spirit, these people stand condemned already. John 3.18 and this is something that we need to bring in a warning because if we love, if we really love this person, we would bring in this into an account. John MacArthur writes this: justification, which is what we uh, went over with in past episodes. Uh, justification, and this is actually our this episode here would talk about it as well. Justification is the is the polar opposite of condemnation. Justification by faith is what makes that possible. If God's demeanor towards us were determined by our own behavior, no one could escape his wrath. For all of us are wretched sinners in nature. Even the most mature saint of Christ is guilty of sin. But we who are in Christ do not need to fear condemnation because we have been justified. There is no condemnation. There is absolutely not one peace. According in the eyes of in the, in the judicial system of the sovereign Lord, God the Father, there is not one piece of condemnation, of parole, of uh, community service of probation there is not one piece because in if we are in Christ we have been justified we've been justified by the blood of Christ and though we fall and though we stumble the Lord himself will still remain there to lift us up with his right hand Psalm 37:24 how have we been justified? How have we been justified through Christ on the cross? It was through the saving works on the cross. Most importantly, it was through the mercy of our Lord. He is the one who saved us. He is the one who justified us. He is the one who brought us out of condemnation. And He is the one who has called us His child. He grants us repentance. This is not something of our own doing. 2 Timothy 2.25 Which is only done by His, by God's sovereign grace. 
This is only done by His grace. Ephesians 2, verse 7. Through the faith in God we have been justified. That God, we have, we have our faith that we have for God was given to us by God. Ephesians 2, verse 8. And through our loving obedience to the Lord, we have also been justified. John 14, verse 15, as well as 1 John 2, verse 4. Going on through verse 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And as we've already shared uh, in the past, it's there is not one person not one single person who can merit their own righteousness. There's not one person whose, whose acts, whose, who, who, whose good deeds has been applied to their righteousness, has been applied to their salvation, apart from God working in the person's life. There is not one thing that merits goodness. God's perfect law demands a just punishment. It demands condemnation and through that the full wrath of God would be upon us but though that we have been justified this is something that Christ took he took the wrath it was redirected to him and his righteousness was redirected to us though the law in and of itself we uh, could not justify could not be justified the law was given to us by means to show how just how imperfect, how unworthy sinners we really are. And it was to bring light into the darkness. It was to illuminate our minds and to draw us back into a relationship with a perfect God. But even the obedience to the law cannot even save us. Not, no, not a single piece. The Lord examines our hearts. Jeremiah 17.10 And even our good deeds are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 6 And all of this, all of this shows just how undeserving we truly are. But because of this, because of this, we have Christ. Things of the flesh and of the spirit. I'm wrapping up here with uh, verses uh, five, uh, 5 and through 8. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind... On the spirit of is life and is peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And there's only two kinds of people. 
Two kinds of people, count them, one. Number two, there are two kinds of people in this world. According to God's standard, there is only two. There's not three, there's not four, there's not five, there's not even one. There's one human, there's one, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Generate, not generation, um, species, which is the human species. There's one race, but there are two kinds of people. Those who live in and of the flesh, more specifically, these are the ones who, um, these are the ones who, the ones who live of the flesh is not, is not the carnal Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. There is, well, let me rephrase that. There is such thing as a carnal Christian in the sense of a new believer. While we might start off, you know, continuously, you know, in a carnal mindset, we, as we continue to mature in our spirit, as we continue to delve into the life of God and His righteousness, as we continue to chase after that, we become less and less carnal. And we become more spiritual. And not only that, but we become even increasingly sanctified. There are those who live in the flesh. The unregenerate, the condemned, the unrepentant, the unrighteous, the unworthy, the sinner. These are the people who cannot, who do not submit to God's law. And because they do not have the spirit, and we already learned this in our past episodes, um, you know, through you know our wickedness, apart from God working in us, there is not one purchase. There is not one person who is righteous. There is not one person who seeks after God. There is not one person who seeks to understand God, unless God is working in them. So, in our fallen human nature, we run and we hide. These are the people of the flesh. And those who live in the spirit and focus on spiritual things. This is the second person. And interestingly enough, one thing I have personally noticed in myself as I've continued. Now, I want to bear in mind, you know, just so we don't get people who, who misunderstand this. As I, as I have continued to grow in my spiritual maturity, I'm not saying I don't sin. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I do want to say that... Through this, I've noticed there's less sin than there would have been five years ago. And this process itself is sanctification. And as I remain on this, you know, as we remain in this study today, this is what we talk about with sanctification, the ongoing uh, the ongoing cleansing, if you wish, uh, the ongoing uh, pursuit of righteousness, the maturity in the spiritual life. But as I continue in my spiritual walk, I notice that, that you know, this world, I look at it less and less in a carnal mindset, and I look at it more on a spiritual level. You know, I, 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 I tear things apart. And I think this is important for us to do as well. What do I mean by this? What do I mean about this spiritual level? What do I mean this 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 spiritual maturity? What does this look like? Well, I can only give you my ex my experience. 
as I said, I like to tear things apart. I looked at, I like to look behind uh, the question. Uh, one example I like to give when you when you tell me that the sky is blue, I'll come back to you in a couple hours, or I'll come back to you in about a day or two, and I'll tell you how many hues of blue there really is. It's like there's more than just a visual behind it, and that's how I look at things. I look beyond that. And Ephesians, um, Ephesians six twelve, which I have that here. Um, is for we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the heavenly place. And that's a principle that we need to take into consideration. This is how we, as believers, as people who are of the body of Christ, need to look at this world. You know, there's somebody who's in sin, don't look at that. Look at what's behind that sin. Look at the why. Look at the cause. Look at the influence behind that. I had a conversation with somebody uh, just last night. Just last night, that we were talking about depression. You know, how do you overcome this? I was like, well, you know, it, it's simple. Turn to God. Recognize that depression itself is, in a sense, is a sin. This isn't some mental or psychological issue. It might look that way on our face value. It might look that way on our instruments. But when you look in the scriptures, there is not one, there's people who have burdens, there's people who have depressing moments, but there's not one person, to my own knowledge, that suffers from depression, that suffers from anxiety, that suffers from, you know, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I guess I'm going to go eat worms. But what there is, there is people who are influenced by demons by cults, by false ideas, which come from demonic influences. And no, I'm not saying they're possessed, but I'm saying, you know, there is a possibility. But what I am saying is that there's demonic influence behind that. Depression, let me ask you a question. What, the, what comes with depression? I don't have depression, so I'm not really no scholar behind this idea. But from what I understand about it, depression comes with the idea of, of, of these thoughts of, look at you. Look at you. Look at look at all this these these problems you have. Look at all these 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 issues that you you've come with. You'll never you'll never come across them. You'll never accomplish them. They're always going to be a part of your life. Nobody loves you. Look at you. You're so ugly. Nobody loves you. You're not beautiful. Your relationship wasn't meant to last. Whatever else that you can possibly think of. Now, God himself, specifically, and, and to my knowledge, you know, they, they, science, you know, psychology says they're different, but really the attributes are the same. Anxiety, depression, it's all the same. It's a mental fear. It's a mental burden that is meant to drag you down and to, to put you in a, in a, hide you under a blanket, away from the world, cause you to cause harm to yourself cause you to live life outside of the joy of the Lord. To keep you from God and His sovereignty and His peace and His glory and His holiness. Just for an example, we don't look at depression as a mental issue. 
we got to look at it as a demonic influence because you've got a man who's who's running rampant naked in the in the mountainside, I believe, or you know, out in the farms in the fields. He's 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 crazy, and today we would call that a some sort of psychological defect. This man's mentally unstable, and he needs medicine. He needs drugs. But did Jesus ever say that? Did Jesus ever recognize that as a medical condition? No. <laughs> In fact, what he did was he recognized what it really was, was a demonic influence. And he cast these demons out. And I think it's important that we recognize that. Rather than focusing on the flesh, um, a passage, I want to say 2 Corinthians 5... Eight. I could be wrong on that. Uh, maybe five seven uh, says that we, as believers, you know, we live by faith and not by sight. We focus on the Word of God. We focus on God Himself. We focus on His glory, His kingdom, His righteousness, His care, His glorious love. When we focus on that. We will be less concerned about our depression. We will be less concerned about anxieties. We will be less concerned about fears. We will be less concerned about our sins. We will be less concerned about what other people think about us. What we will be more focused on is what can I do to serve the Lord? Our progressive mindset, now that we've taken on this new nature, needs to be less according to the flesh. Less diving into these sins we need to focus less in our mindset on on the world and more on Christ and his sovereignty and his glory and his righteousness and everything that comes this is a progressive understanding this is a progressive uh, maturity if you wish as we continue to grow, as we continue to improve our spiritual nature, we become more sanctified. The one who is in the flesh will focus on the things in the flesh. You know, secular ideas over God's, uh, over God's words, lusts, selfish gains, debauchery, and whatever other pleasures and temporary satisfactions you can really come up with. But when we focus on this, we fail to realize the outcome that is in our minds. We fail to realize the outcome that is hidden or behind the scenes, not yet revealed until after these actions. Ultimately, this is a damage. You know, when we, these things are not yet revealed, but the results, this is what we need to look at. We need to look at these results. Not focusing on the now, the flesh, but focus on the things of the spirit. Not only the not only the results that come from this, but further on, and just just trust that God has a plan through this. It's like God, I don't know what you have going on, but I'm going to trust you. And by focusing too much on the flesh uh, and the and these these secular ideas, by focusing on these temporary pleasures. This is something that is damaging to our own character. 
not only that, but it is damaging to you know how others view you. It is, it is that is the character. It is, it is damaging to how people see you, or more importantly, how they see the church. If you are of the body of Christ, if you are truly saved by the grace of God, you're not going to want to do things of this world. You're not going to have interest in that. You're going to want something different, something better, something more holy, something more righteous. And by failing to do that, people get a false representation, a false understanding, a false perspective of the church. If, if Christianity is simply, you know, carnal lifestyles slapped on, you know, with, with a cross slapped on it, it's dumb. It's pointless, but that's not the case. There's more to it. And we, as believers, need to be willing to focus less on the flesh and more on the spirit. Likewise, and I want to share these last two, three things as an example, and then we close up. Some other examples, and I believe I might have shared them in the past. These things, you have to look at the outcome behind this, the end results. Um, these things, specifically, these th not specifically, but these are three that I've noticed in my experiences. Um, these are three things. There are more. But these are three things that can be damaging. In fact, these are things that God does not approve of. Debating with unbelievers. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. What does that have to say? 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. What does that have to say? Debating itself is wrong. Because what good can come of it? It's just an argument. Now we could say that Paul himself debated with people. It's like, yeah, he debated in the church with the people of the church. He debated on the, uh, the deity of Christ. He debated with other, quote-unquote, Christians. The validity of six days of creation. And the idea that it doesn't matter. You know, that we, have, we say that it doesn't matter. We say, you know, we can believe in six days. We can believe in, you know, 60 million years. Now, there's really only one, and I'm not going to get into this. We're actually going to be doing another study on this after we get done with Romans. We're going to go back and do uh, Genesis. So we're going to try to get through this. I think, I don't even know how many chapters, uh, much more we got, probably a couple months. Um, but we're going to try to get through that as quick as we can so we can get on Genesis. I'm personally excited for it. But by saying that it does not matter, six days that is written in Genesis does not matter. By rejecting this, you are not only indirectly limiting the power of God to do what he can in six days, but you are also implying that nothing in the scriptures matters as long as I believe in Jesus Christ. And if you're doing that, then by, by doing such, you're saying that I don't even have to recognize that he died on the cross. As long as I recognize he existed, I'm good to go. Horror movies and other demonic-themed, excuse me, uh, horror movies and demonic-themed entertainment. We, we perceive this to be okay as long as our hearts are on Jesus. Reality is that if our hearts are truly on Christ, then we wouldn't want anything to do with such things. For example, Saul disobeyed God when he, he took down the Amalekites, and God commanded him to wipe them all out, leave no remnant, get rid of them all. But yet what he does is he takes some spoilers of war, and he justifies it by saying that this is, this is to be a sacrifice to the Lord. I'm giving him the first and the greatest fruits. He's ultimately, you know, he, he's got good intentions. 
But yet God himself said, don't do it. God himself said, get rid of it. He, he has no interest in this. There's a disobedience right there to God. Trying to justify it with good actions. You know, it's... There's a lot more we can go over with, and I want to read this real quick to wrap this up. Uh, starting in verse 9. This is taught, we, we, we wrap this up, we, we make a declaration that there is no condemnation in Christ. Anybody who is in Christ has no fear from this. We live, um, we live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, wrapping this up in verse 9 through 11, you, he's talking to the people of Rome, you, however, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you are not of the flesh, you are in the Spirit. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you, have to, if, you, if you go up to somebody and says, well, have you experienced the presence of God? Do you have the presence of God in your life? Did the Holy Spirit come and dwell with inside of you? And if they can't give a solid yes to that answer, chances are they're not saved. Chances are they're unrepentant, or chances are they are a false convert. But he says, but if Christ is in you, if he truly is in you, the logical side of this is although the body in your human nature, in your flesh, in your physical corporeal form is dead, is sin, is the embodiment of sin, is decaying, your spiritual nature, the spirit is life because of Christ's righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, he who raised Christ from the dead, the Father, or Christ himself, he who raised Christ from the dead, he, the same man who raised himself, will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells within you. So the logical conclusion in which we're wrapping this up here is if you do not live of the flesh and if you live if you live more in the spirit and in fact if the spirit lives in you then the conclusion can only be that there is no condemnation for you because you are in Christ you are saved you are a part of his kingdom. That my friends is the word of God and my two cents. You guys have yourself a wonderful weekend. God bless.